but give a warm welcome to Brian Sumner, please. <laughs> Thank you. How you guys doing? You guys awake? Man, this altitude is messing me up. They keep sending me up and down the stairs. I'm about to pass out. So if I do, just come up here and preach, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, you're so good. But I just pray now that, God, we know there's men in here who are devastated, who are broken, who are facing hard times. God, your love, your grace, and your mercy is enough. God, I know there's times we make mistakes and we miss it. God, would you speak into that? Lord, will we just hear of your word today, even as I share part of my story and we expose and just open up your word, God, speak and minister and bring life into hearts, God. Redeem the lost. Minister to us who love you. And God, we just thank you for this time. Let it all be about you. Holy Spirit, have your way. And in Jesus' name, we pray and said. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you guys, you can go over to 2 Samuel 11. And I just got to say, it was just amazing hearing that song, In Christ Alone. I mean, I'm only 36, I think, or 37, ask my wife. But that's the song I'm probably going to have playing at my funeral if the Lord doesn't take us all out of here. Amen. But as we get into this, I want to just challenge us. You know, as Pastor said earlier, this is all about God. I want to honor this church. I want to honor this ministry. But it's all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us to study, to show ourselves approved. It tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we're even told in the scriptures that the men of Berea were more noble than men in Thessalonica because they checked to see if what the man of God was saying was true. So as we come today, as we hear stories from me, as we hear references to life, this is really about you, your Bible, the Holy Spirit, and your walk. Amen? We see in the Bible men who pursued God. I mean, Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus. You should be climbing that tree today. Blind Bartimaeus knew his touch was only in God. And so as we begin to get into this, I'm going to focus on the Scripture I'm going to share my story, but I know, as Pastor said, I have an accent. I have to preach this over you. I am not speaking with an accent. Amen? We are in America. You are trying to speak English, but this is what you're meant to sound like. Amen? The truth will set you free. Please don't sound like me. I know some of you guys are going to end up sounding like me by the end of the day, but this is what happens if you are a messed up English guy living in America for 20 years. So, Amen? But this is today our, our first session, which I'm honored to share on. I'm going to really focus on purpose and vision. We can say a lot of things. I can give a lot of things for you to focus on. But if we don't have an understanding of who we are and in whose image we're made, we're going to miss it completely. And some of you have heard my story. But for those of you who haven't, I need to go there for just a moment and tell you that I wasn't raised in a church. I mean, I still get nervous coming to speak and share, and here we are, all these men from all over the world, but, but God called me and redeemed me and saved me, and I'm thankful for that, but I would have fled this place many years ago. First of all, I wouldn't have been up this early. Skateboarders don't do that. Second, I wouldn't have been in a church where you're singing about an invisible God. So for me, my story begins in, of all places, Liverpool, England, home of the Beatles. I mean, we had the Charles Spurgeons and the great revivals and all these great preachers, but that all died out. So my story begins as a kid in Liverpool, England, not knowing about Jesus, 
never hearing of a Calvary chapel, never hearing the gospel, but yet I grew up five doors down from a giant church, a giant Catholic church with the priest and the statues and all these things, and I went in there all the time. I spent a lot of time on the grounds, but I never attended a service. No one ever stopped me and said, young boy, do you know what life's about? So my life began with no purpose, with no meaning. And you could be here today in that same boat. Someone drug you along. You could have been a Christian your whole life and you're just feeling like, God, I don't even know where you're leading me. Well, we can answer those questions today. How many of you guys know this book is a book of answers and direction? Amen. We could just preach on that right now. For me, I spent time in that church not hearing about God, not reading the Bible. But I, I played this sport where you take a ball and you kick it with your foot. What's it called? Praise God, some men here with wisdom. A ball and a foot spells out football, not soccer. Whatever they are doing tomorrow with that loaf of bread thing you throw at each other, that's not football, amen? I can say that because I'm in church and I'm leaving tomorrow. But the reality is I grew up playing football. I grew up doing martial arts. And some of you heard this story, but my life took direction at 13. I watched a movie that no one in the youth group had ever heard about called Police Academy 4. Remember that old film with Mahoney and Hightower? <laughs> you guys getting my accent? This is not tongues. Do not stand up and try and interpret. This is just the way God made me. It's his fault. Amen. This is probably how God sounds. But the reality is, now that could be blasphemous. I'm getting you guys woke up. But for me, I wasn't raised in the church. I watched that movie, Police Academy 4, and my life took direction. It became all about skating. And it wasn't that you'd be known then. It wasn't that you'd make money. But I wanted what we all want, free stuff. I wanted to live in America where the floor is smooth, where the handrails are small, and I wanted to do all these tricks. So here's this guy from Liverpool getting in a fight as a kid, getting in the trouble, having no clue about God, and suddenly skateboarding drops into my lap. And for me, that just became my dream. I asked these young kids, you know, how many of you guys have dreams, you know, and they're so excited. Well, that became my dream. I was getting into too much trouble. This was a way out. So for me, skating was going to answer all these questions. I'll find purpose. I'll be missional. I'll do this thing that represents me. And so picture being a kid who's 13 and skating for two years, you know, jumping off things like this, jumping downstairs and handrails. And there wasn't an industry yet. But unbeknownst to me in America, this industry was building as I'm winning these contests and getting known, picture being 15 years of age, never hearing about God, having no clue of life, and getting a phone call from the most famous skater ever, Tony Hawk, saying, do you want to come and live in America? I mean, that would direct most of the teen's life. They have these dreams of musician. They have these dreams of, you know, making a lot of money, being Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all these, the Michael Jordans. But do they really know God's plan? I didn't. And so my life just began to unfold, and you might even be here today with your own plan, and it's unfolded so well, but you still don't know God, or it could have collapsed, and you're saying, wow, God, I need to be close to you. I didn't know this. So skating blew up, and at the age of 15 in England, you finished school, which made all the youth group mad, amen? 16, 17, 18 years old, were not happy about that. I finished school, I flew over to California, lived in an apartment with a bunch of guys who couldn't care less about God, and all we did was skate and spend time in the jacuzzi and eat Taco Bell all day and live off a couple of hundred bucks a month. Amen? I mean, that's life. And what happened, skating blew up. All the magazines, all the videos, it's on television, it's everywhere. You know, this booktooth kid from Liverpool, there's a vision before me, it's growing, and you go from making a couple of hundred bucks a month 
to a couple of thousand bucks a month to sometimes ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars a month, gaining the whole world but losing my what? Soul. Living in California to the age of 19, never actually hearing someone stop me and say, do you understand purpose? Do you have vision? Do you know what life is about? And I know in many churches we talk about purpose and vision. It's always about you getting yours. It's all about you and the house and the car. But I'm just talking about vision and life. Do we know why we're made? Do we know whose we really are? Do we know we need to be forgiven and redeemed? I didn't. And so finally, a skating blows up. You're making a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year, have a finished school, never really having a job. Life's all about you. And finally, I fell in love at 19. And who do you think I fell in love with? Not Jesus, not God. A girl from California who drove on the wrong side of the road. Crazy, you guys still do it. I do it. She speaks with an accent still to this day. And she even calls football soccer of all things. But that's how you know the grace of God was in it because we were madly in love. And her family's half Italian, half Mexican. They would have killed me if I did this before them. So I said, babe, I love you. I love the way you look. I love the way you make me feel. I love all the things you do for me. So obviously I'm loving who? Myself, not really here. Why don't we drive off to Vegas, even though it's only been four months? Why don't we get married and start a family? And she was an American, so she's obviously crazy. Amen? She said, I do, drove out to Vegas, and there's Brian with the world at his feet, gaining it all, losing his soul. I had money in the bank. I was in all the magazines. Life was all about me, but I would have sat here today and said, bro, what are you going to tell me that can change my life? What are you going to say in your little book with not many jokes or funny pictures that's going to actually help me? And you could be that guy today because there I am in love. And if you guys have been married, how many guys know how tough it is? I mean, there's a book out there. Only some of you, well, guys, stay at it. I mean, you put two sinners together, right? But this will bless you. Would you marry yourself? I wouldn't. I wouldn't marry myself. God puts two sinners together. How does he do that? He puts us together to die to self and grow. I wasn't a believer, nor was she. She was Catholic in some senses, but we didn't know God's love. And so finally, for the first time in my life, maybe it's the same way for you, this thing was facing me called responsibility, or you could call it reality. I'm in love with this woman. Money's coming in. It's all about me. I'm gaining the world, losing my soul. And before long, we're fighting. She isn't the right one. There's issues. There's struggles. There's pain and hurt. And within two years, Brian, who's gaining the whole world, living the American dream, is divorced from this woman. And listen, in England, this is a true story. It isn't just the soccer players who are hooligans. Can I just tell you that everyone's a hooligan? Amen? The queen is. Mary Poppins is. I mean, does anyone work with an English person? Are they crazy or not? They're rowdy. They're wound up. So now I'm in America, living this dream, divorced from this woman, and I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm depressed. I'm hurt. Maybe now in this message I would have sat here and said, huh, maybe this guy can at least relate to me, even without this invisible God stuff. I mean, is there something in this? And so as an Englishman, you know, with Charlie Darwin on our money, believing we evolved and I was acting like an ape anyway, what did I do? I literally remember one day looking up. I hadn't bought a home yet. We lived with their parents. Our sons, you know, a year or two in. And I looked up to God and said, God, whoever you are, I don't want to live anymore. I'm done with life. If I'm an evolved ape, who cares if I end my life or not? I mean, crazy. I'm going to prove that you're not real. And there was a seven-month period where I got into trouble. I got into fights. I had anger management. I had all these issues. But there was a seven-month period where the courts allotted me to go and spend time where? In a Christian thrift store. How's that for a sense of humor? 
I walk into a Christian thrift store thinking they'll have funny little cardigans, you know, and khakis to skate in and fit into my world. And I walk in and what's playing on the radio? I Saw the Light by Hank Williams. A guy walks up to me that day and says, hey, I think you need this book. He hands me The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. See, I was going to God to disprove him. I was looking at all these different religions. I was having this atheistic mindset, though I didn't know any better. But God was beginning to speak to me. I was still dead in sin. I still cared more about me than God and probably others. And listen, I didn't think I was a self-righteous guy. Some people are like, look what I've done. I felt like I was humble. I was amazed I made it to America. I was amazed I could even get in these magazines. I mean, God was doing something in my life. I didn't know it yet. I believe now he's leading me over here to hear his word and be ministered to. But there I am, angry, divorced, and overliving. And when you sit in the youth and you tell them, so now you've accomplished your dreams, does it answer anything? And we know George Harrison, do you remember what he said at the end of his life? George Harrison of the Beatles, after all the women, all the sex, all the partying, all the religions aside from Christ, he said, is this it? You need more medication. You need more top-selling albums. You need more world religions. But for the first time in my life, I stopped and said, God, I am done. So what did I do one day? I opened up this book. Best-selling book of all time. The reason we have the printing press. The reason why guys like William Tyndale died was so Brian could hear God's word as you're going to hear it today. I opened up the Bible to Genesis 1.26. And I just love to share this verse because it will change your perception of it. A guy who was dead in sin, living for himself, what does God say? Let us make man in our image. If you're here today and you don't know what life's about, you're made in God's image. The dog isn't, the cat isn't, you know, Bigfoot isn't, or whatever in those crazy mountains out there, you know, guard of the gods. But you're made in God's image. I didn't know that. Well, God, if I'm made in your image, I've got some questions. If I'm made in your image, why is life so bad? Why am I angry? Why am I divorced? Why am I over it? And what do we see in the Bible? Well, see, Brian, I put you and your wife in the garden, and I blessed you with everything the same way he's blessed us in many ways. I said, but just don't touch what? The tree. And what did we all do? We all ran over the tree. We took photos with it. We wanted a part of it. We became obsessed with it. That's what they did, right? God says, I've given you everything. You can enjoy life. And that's the same way he even gives it to us today in many ways. But we ran to that tree. Okay, God. So they sinned. And it's crazy in Genesis that it says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God doesn't say, I'll kill you. God's not opposed to them. It was their choice. And so they died in the spirit and they died in the flesh. Okay, God, so if you're really good, what did you do to fix this? I mean, what do we see? We see thousands of years of God showing us in some way he's going to fix it. I wasn't a Christian. This was beginning to get crazy to me. You finally show up to Abraham and say, through you and your faith, I'm going to bless the world. You show up to Moses and tell him, hey, here's Ten Commandments, try and keep them, but he can't keep any of them. I mean, Israel's so what? OCD, they have 613 commandments. You can't pull out a gray hair on the Sabbath day, so we can't keep any of them. And listen, you guys, I was a lot skinnier back then. I mean, I was a vegan back then. And if you were a vegan back then, you were crazy. I mean, you just ate pretty much beans and, and just nasty food, amen? Picture being a vegan, not knowing about God, overliving, opening up the Old Testament. It's about to get crazy. Why? Yeah, every year, Brian, because you're bad, take the innocent little lamb and just shred it to pieces. Really? Take the goat and lay your hands on it and put it outside the city. Why, God? I mean, take blood and spread it over the doorpost in the shape of what? A cross. I mean, we say some crazy things as Christians sometimes, right? I mean, are you covered in the blood of the lamb, brother? I mean... I wasn't a believer. This was getting crazy to me. 
but I was dead in sin, and God was speaking to me. Why do we sacrifice once a year? Why are there all these rituals? I mean, as a guy who didn't know, the Bible was beginning to sound crazy, but it was also beginning to speak truth. And finally, when did it all make sense? When we get to the New Testament. That's why I love the Old Testament. And listen, I was harassing people. I was emailing rabbis. I was emailing priests. I was going to pastors. I was all my Mormons, Jehovah Witness, and Rastafari friends. They were just getting it. Where's God? Why is God? Blah, 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 blah. But God was beginning to lay a foundation for what? Truth. As I opened up the New Testament, what does God say? In the, begin- in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You might have learned that as a kid. I'd never heard it. What does that mean? It means every single word ever spoken was pointing to Jesus who arrived when? 2,000 years ago. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God. Wait a minute. You're saying that this 4,000-year buildup is starting to make sense? Are you saying it wasn't really about the Lamb that was ripped to pieces and the blood was applied? No, no, no. It's all pointing to Jesus who is the Lamb of God. Who You haven't got to go behind there anymore. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the Lamb. Amen? Are you saying he's the goat? Look at this picture. They put their hands on the goat's head and put it outside the city. Jesus took our sin upon him. And the Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he what? Endured the cross outside of the city. You're saying, God, that this book that people say some guy wrote a couple of verses and it built and built and built? No way. This is a history of a nation. This is factual. We understand this is God-breathed. Amen? I was reading this for the first time at 22 years of age around many Christians, having no one ever stop me and say, do you get it? He's the lamb. He's the scapegoat. He's the blood that's applied. But here's the big picture. I didn't know him yet. I didn't know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Are you distant from him? And finally, what happens is, as I'm still making a bunch of money, as life's still about me, as I'm divorced from this woman and overliving, I'm beginning to realize that I don't know this Jesus. And see, I was going to him to fix me and my marriage and my skating, but God was coming to me to point out all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've lied one time, what are you? A liar. If you checked out hundreds of women, what are you? An adulterer. I'd blasphemed, I'd done all these things. Okay, God, now it makes sense. It makes sense why there's sickness in the world, why there's death, why there's pain. I get it, but what did you do? I sent the lamb. He lived for you. He died for you. He resurrected. Let me just make this point, you guys, that we often overlook as Christians. How many of you guys know there's a funny-sounding guy on the stage speaking right now? Amen? You can all raise your hands. I won't be offended. Don't lie. We're in church. Don't lie out of there. You don't have to have faith that I'm real because you are here today. I thought all you Christians just hoped that the Bible was true. At the end of your life, you go up the escalator, just like on The Simpsons, and you see St. Peter, and you say, oh, I guess I made the right choice. I served God for 40 years and did this and did that in a building that looked nice, and I guess it was real. That isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the same way you know you are hearing this funny-sounding accent is the same way we contend of Jesus Christ and know him that day. Amen. When scientists or people say, give me the science of the Bible, I never can. You can see the mountains, you can see the good and the bad, but it's only when you turn to Jesus, he awakens hearts, takes the scales off eyes, and you come to faith. Amen. The Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If this is stupidity to you, like it was to me, it's because you don't know God. What I'm saying is, I was still trying to be this with this woman in some ways. I love my son, but I still wanted to die. I was still angry. I got into eight fist fights in one month. I mean, can you imagine that? 
And I'm a guy that never started fights. I was emotional. I was a wreck. I was angry. I was reaching out to people. And so as I bought a house, I said to my ex-wife, why don't we just try and stay together at least until my son's five? Because even if I end my life, at least he gets, you know, five good years with me, I guess. I mean, how selfish is that? I'd been given this skate career. I was making money. The one thing in my life that was messing me up, I was ready to end it all. And so I'd bought a house, gone to a church, and heard the pastor preaching on Galatians 5. I'd heard him preaching on Matthew 7, 21. Many will call him Lord. Galatians 5, all about sin. And it was the first time I'd really realized, God, I'm not coming to you for my life. I'm coming to you because there's a place called heaven. There's a place called hell. You love me more than I love my child. And you went to that cross, died, and resurrected again, shining the light on me. Amen. I went home that day saying, thank you, Jesus, for the songs we sing today, for the event the church is putting on, for my sharing here today, because, God, you love us so much, you gave your son. I didn't know the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I didn't know that God so loved the world, he sent Jesus, but I was beginning to get it, but I still didn't know him. And that night as I went home, I got down on my knees. I had a big fight with my ex-wife, and we were on and off together. We were running around doing different things, trying to figure out life. I really didn't want to live, but that night was the first time I got down on my knees. I said, God, I need to know that you're real. I won't follow a book. I won't follow a church. I can't follow a pastor. How can I do all of these things if I don't know you? And if you've been around Calvary for any amount of time, there's a famous song by, I believe it's the band Love Song. And they say, many know him well, others just by name. I only knew him by name. And I got down on my knees just like this in my house where I live today. And I said, God, I am done. I'm depressed. I'm angry. Nothing's satisfying me. I didn't want a bunch of money. I didn't want world fame. I didn't want world peace. I was content with what I'd had in life, and it was enough. And I said, God, I remember saying Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I wanted to make sure he knew I was speaking to him. Amen. No other gods. I said, God, I need you. I need to be forgiven. I'll give you my life. I'll give you my skating. I'll get baptized. And I'll even remarry this woman. You've been through what I went through. That's some crazy faith, right? Here's the most radical part of my story. And I love sharing this at skate parks when kids are already freaked out that this is happening. You know, here's this pro skater guy, and now you're like a maniac for Jesus. It was like God walked into the room and took his hand and you know what I'm talking about. You have that moment when you know he said, you're mine. This guy who loved Bruce Lee, loved martial arts, all this Eastern philosophy. It was like God put his hand in my chest and in one moment said, it's done. I was forgiven. My heart was new. And God just did a brand new work. All things passed away. All things became what? New. God saved me that day. And I sat there and I wept, cried, laughed and said, I can't believe this is real. And the amazing thing is within a few weeks, my wife, who tried to fight with me the whole time now, saying, well, wait, you're not even a Catholic. You're not even baptized. How do you know? What are you going to do? I said, you can have the house. You can have the cars. I'm just going to follow Jesus. We couldn't fight anymore. My focus was on God. Within three weeks, she came to faith. And within about three to six months' time, we got remarried. Amen. I think we even have a photo on the screen to maybe show you. Can we just give it up for the Lord? Listen, you guys, that's, that's my wife of almost 17 years. That's my son, Dakota, and he's here today somewhere probably hiding in the back. But think about this. That's my daughter, Eden Avery Sumner. She wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for Jesus. That's my son. You know the guy who looks like he should be the UFC champ, like a little Brock Lesnar? It's about as big as me, Jude. Those two kids wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for God. 
And people say, where's the evidence? I can't give it to you, but I can show you what God has done in my life. Amen? So just give it up for the Lord and what he's done in my life, in your life, what he's even doing here today. But as we say that and say, well, praise God, that's 12 years ago. Thank you for this nice testimony. Why do we have another part of a session and two more? Two more? I want to say, where do we go today? What is God saying into you aside from my life, aside from the accent, aside from, you know, me blessing you by telling you it's really called football? Amen? Well, here's the reality is God does have a purpose and a vision. Is my life perfect now because I'm a Christian and I'm remarried? Does that mean everything in life makes sense? No, it means things are going to take time. It means you and I are going to grow. Oh, as a pastor, I want to live above reproach. But God's still doing a work in me. There was pain, there was hurt, there was anger, there was canals built into our mind, all the things you've done in life. So where do we go today? Do we go somewhere that typically we go in men's conferences where I just point out a bunch of sin and we fill an altar and say, you're not good? Is it about your anger or when you swore real loud that time? When you got mad or if you pay your taxes? I mean, do you text while you're driving? I mean, how far do we want to go with this? Is it about who you ripped off or your road rage? I mean, do we beat each other up so much right now and say we get it, we're guilty, that we hobble back to Jesus feeling like we're unworthy? Is that where God wants us to go as we start a session like this? Is that, that's not where I want to focus. You know your sin. You know what you're wrestling with. You know why you drove here today. You know even why someone brought you and you think it's all about them, but you know you really want to hear from God. So where do we go? I mean, think about what we do as men. I mean, if you have jobs right now, most of you do. And if you're not, I assume you're, you're focused on getting one. But what do we do? We wake up early. We get the coffee. We get the outfit on. We get the tools. We get the equipment. We go to the job site. And we do all these things kind of without thinking about it in many ways, right? Because we're focused on the job. Where I'm from, when I go skate or surf, if I jump up early, I've got a smoothie going. You know, I've got the wetsuit ready. I'm down at the beach. I'm doing all these things that are essential to me ultimately getting into the wave. Out here, you guys probably hunt a lot, so what? You chose a gun, you've got your ammunition, your camouflage, you know where you're gonna go shoot. What am I saying? Is rather than focus on all these details and tend to do's, we should be focused on the job. We should be focused on the wave. We should be focused on the hunt because really, God has given us a call. He's given us a simple purpose, and I'm convinced that the biggest thing the enemy has done in American culture is make the church a place for motivational speaking. He's made it a place to pat you on the back so you leave here without really realizing, I have a job. I am going to surf. I am going to hunt. And how do I know this? Because what are the things Paul says to us? He says simple things like this. Keep your eyes on the prize. Yes, it's Jesus, but how do I live now? I mean, let's be realistic. Why wasn't I taken out of here 12 years ago? You know, raptured like Enoch or Elijah 12 years ago. God, I'm good. Why did God leave me here? Obviously to share the day because my eyes are on the prize. The Bible says, set your ways and your thoughts, your mind on the things that are what? Above. And if you've heard any of the messages I've shared this weekend, it's been the same kind of message like this. All things are made by him and for him and through him. We read in 1 Corinthians. So when someone says to me, now I'm a Christian, what is the purpose of life? I want to put this verse on the board for us out of Ephesians 2.10, and you know it. But I want to see, do you know it, and are you living it? If you walked in here, you know, fresh off the street, what is Christianity? Listen to what it says, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, for we are his workmanship. He doesn't say you might be. He doesn't say try to be. He says we are. 
I am going to work today. I am going surfing today. I am going hunting today. My focus is on the end goal, and those other things will follow suit. We're made in God's image. We're being perfected. You will get better day by day. But rather than just pull you down about your shortcomings, let's focus on where we're going. He says we are his workmanship. We've been made in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. And what should we do? God prepared them beforehand and we should walk in them. Literally, before you were even created, saved, everything that God has done in your life or he's going to do, he already had a purpose for you. I mean, think about a guitar. Why is a guitar made? To be played. For who? Jesus. Think about a skateboard if it's not being skated. It is missing its purpose. Man, think about a drill. What do you do with it? You drill it. In the same way, you could be sitting here as this guitar playing songs for something other than the Lord, being a skateboard, never being ridden, or being a drill that is never drilled because you're not saying, wow, I am made in his image. I am made perfect. And so we say, okay, God, I'm made in your image. I'm made perfect. You've redeemed me. What is our call now? Simple. What's the first thing Jesus says? Follow me, and I'll make you fish as a man. What's the last thing he says? He shows them how to do it for three and a half years. And at the end of it all, as he's died and resurrected, they're all freaking out. Where did the dude go? What is going on? We want streets of gold. We want redemption. He shows up to them before he takes off into heaven. And what does he say? All authority has been given to me. And you know this, the great suggestion, the great commission, amen. It says, go therefore in all the world. So you heard my story. We're made in his image. We are his workmanship, and all he said to you and I when we first met him is, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for men. The last thing he said is, go all into the world and make disciples. Scripture tells us that God has a plan for us, and I already know that you and I want to be part of it. How so? Let me read this verse to you out of Genesis and see where you find yourself. This is before the curse. Are you guys tracking okay? This is Calvary, so now we can dig up the word. Amen? Genesis 1, 26 and 27, I'll read it. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, speaking of the Trinity, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the earth, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he made the male and female. Even before the curse, though we work hard by the sweat of our brow, do you see God made Adam with a purpose? He made him to have dominion. What does he do next in Genesis 2? It says he brought all of the animals to the man to see what he would name them. I mean, God's God. Don't you think God should have named the animals? I mean, they came up with what, giraffe? I mean, duckbill platypus? I mean, there's some funny names out there, right? But God made Adam on purpose, and right away, what did he do? He gave him a call, name the animals. I guarantee you, Eve didn't want to do this, right? She's playing with the bunnies and the butterflies and picking flowers and making things look nice. But what did Adam do? He said what you and I say. I'm going to go to job. I'm going to go work. I'm going to drop in on that wave. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to get up and preach this morning. I'm going to name all the animals. This is not who we are as men. And we see this in the Bible. Whether we talk about work or our favorite hobbies or our pastimes or hunting or things I'm talking about, this is throughout the Bible. God shows up to Abraham. What does he say? Go to this land. Abraham does. Believe for a son. Abraham does. Be willing to sacrifice your son. Abraham is willing. He shows up to Moses and says, what? Lead the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Here's some commandments to give to the people. Moses didn't want to go. I'm going to part the sea through you. Do you see they're all given a work? 
Joseph is given a vision early on in his life, and Joseph takes the vision and goes to tell his family. I mean, can you imagine if God spoke to you today and you went home and told your family, thinking they would bless you? Well, Joseph's family didn't. They beat him up, threw him in a pit, and he was gone for 13 years, lied about and enslaved. But did he follow God? Yes. We can go on and on about Daniel who purposed in his heart to follow the Lord. But where are we going to go today specifically to see how we could be missing our purpose and distracted by the things of this world? Well, what greater man to look at in the Bible than who? Jesus, but who is a man? A man after God's own heart. What's his name? King David. we got to say that King David is the greatest king of all time. He has a city named after him. I mean, Jesus is called what? A son of David. Really, God? Yet when we consider this man who's radical that other kings would be measured by, do you live up to the standard of King David? I mean, he has his own logos, his emblems. I mean, they still are claiming him today. I have to ask myself the question today, how does this man called of God after God's own heart go from such renown to what? Falling from glory. How can you and I fall from glory? How can we show up to the church every week and attend every conference and help with the coffee and help with this and do all these things? And we're, we're doing it. We're walking in our Christianity. I mean, David was rich. He was a king. He had authority. God had blessed him. He was a mighty warrior. So how do we get to David falling the way he did? You guys want to know that? I do. Amen. Second Samuel 11 too. You ready? It says one evening, and we can preach right there. You guys need to watch out for one evening, amen, when the devil visits us. It says one evening, 2 Samuel 11 verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. Isn't that funny? He just wandered around. He had nothing to do. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and she was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. As she was purifying herself from a her monthly uncleanliness, she went back home. And verse 5, the woman conceived and said, where to David, saying, I am pregnant. Isn't it crazy? This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who's got something he's meant to be doing, but is he doing it? He's strolling around on his roof. He's hanging out. He's not living on purpose. He isn't saying, I am the workmanship of God. Granted, Paul wrote that verse many years later, but David isn't understanding this. So he sees someone's daughter and disrespects that man. He sees someone else's wife. He begins to check her out and her hair and how she smells and maybe she's been in the gym all week and, oh, wow, I've just got to have this woman. I mean, I have everything else. I've got leather couches up here, you know, and the newest game systems. I've got all the newest bikes to play with and all the games are all over the screens. I mean, life's good, right? And now I see a woman and I have everything else I want. I don't deny my flesh in any other way, so why wouldn't I sleep with her? Why wouldn't I sleep with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, while Uriah is out waging war for me and God? And what does David do? She gets pregnant. So as a man after God's own heart, he sends for Uriah. Uriah comes back by the grace of God, not being killed in a war. And David begins to tell him, you know what, Uriah, seeing as I your home, you should go and hang out with your wife. I mean, you should basically go and get physical with her so they all think it's your child but not mine. Now, you've seen the Bible story at all. You know, I think it's called A.D. from a few years ago. I just love this scene 
where David has risen the prominence and he's trying to bribe Uriah and he gives him a gift and he goes, go home and sleep with your wife. And David says, no one will know. And I love that they put in there that Uriah says, I will know. This conference is called Integrity. I will know. I'm the one walking around the rooftop. I'm the one noticing what's around me. I'm the one calling out to Bathsheba. Uriah won't go. Uriah won't even go home and sleep with his wife that night in the middle of a battle. And let's just be honest right now, all of us as men, if you were out waging war, maybe never seeing your wife again, don't you think you wouldn't mind going home and hanging out with her for one night? It's, I mean, amen, I'll preach it. Thank you, thank you. I'm feeling you right there, thank you. Honest security guard there. But let's be realistic. He won't. He won't go and pleasure himself while his friends and co-workers, co-laborers in the call of God are out there. So Uriah gets mad. I mean, David gets mad and sends Uriah out into the battle. Not only does he send him out into the battle, but he sends him with a decree telling the commander, Joab, when Uriah shows up to you, put him outside in the front of the battle, in the front line, so he'll be what? Killed. I got to ask the question, how could David be here today preaching to you? Or how could David be manning the camera or sitting here singing worship, doing whatever you're doing, and fall from grace, and basically lust, commit adultery, plan to assassinate someone, have one of his own friends and members and honorable guards here killed before God when David, the Bible says, is a man after God's own heart? It says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. The thing that David did displeased the Lord. How many guys ever did stuff that displeased the Lord? I mean, I said I wasn't going to go there, but I'm already trying to pick on us. Forgive me, God. David displeased the Lord. Bathsheba's pregnant. They give birth to this child. They try and cover it up. And the Bible says your sin will find you out. The wages of sin is death. And so the child dies. And in 2 Samuel 12, 11, Samuel makes this promise. He says, this is what the Lord says, David, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. David is living a good life. He's known. People respect him. He's a great warrior. He's such a humble and noble man for so many books in the Bible. I get why God chose to reverence this man. When Jesus cleanses out the temple, it points to a verse that points to something David said. He did honor God. He was a worship leader. He did care. But suddenly, at this time in his life, the one thing we see is his flesh failed him. He wanted another man's life, wife, lusting, going against God. Now there's death, and it continues on in his family members. A, a sister, a daughter, different people are raped and killed. It goes on and on and on. And i got to say today for you and I, could this have been avoided? Was there something in his life that we could associate with and say, David, what could you have done different? Let's look at 2 Samuel 11 and 1 as we read. And I love that the Bible, the deeper you get into it, the, the greater things you see. It says 2 Samuel 11 1, before all this happened, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. But David remained in Jerusalem. Who is this story about? It's about a who? A king. It's not about Uriah. It's not about Joab. David is a king. The verse starts off in the spring at the time when what? Kings go to war. Did David go to war? No. He sat around on his rooftop 
enjoying his toys and his games and his life and women. It says at the time kings go to war, David remained in Jerusalem. But David remained in Jerusalem. Am I remaining in Jerusalem? Am I going to war? How many guys know we have a war before us? We have a war with the flesh. We have a war against the kingdom of the devil by preaching and proclaiming the gospel. But can you imagine if we read this of all the other men in the Bible? I get it. We don't hear of sin spoken about certain men like Daniel you know, or Joseph. But they all sinned. Every one of us have sinned. Even when God says we're righteous, it's only because we've trusted him by faith. Ephesians 2.8. Amen. But imagine if I could say this about people. But Adam didn't want to name the animals. I mean, I wouldn't know what a giraffe is called, right? I wouldn't have a clue what it is. When God said, Adam, you do this, but Adam remained in Jerusalem. Adam didn't want to name the animals. What about if Abraham didn't want to believe? What about if Moses didn't want to give the commandments? What about if Noah didn't want to build the ark? We could go on and on. I mean, what about if Jesus didn't want to come and die for our sins? I mean, that'd be crazy, right? What if Jesus didn't want to walk on water? Didn't want to feed the 5,000? What if he didn't want to go to the cross? Well, Brian, you're getting crazy. But what if God wanted to remain in Jerusalem? And if God didn't so love the world, and if God didn't care, what I'm saying to you is there's a purpose for all of us. God is the creator. He is a potter. From the beginning, he shaped and formed and spoke and breathed. And he was at work for six days. And then what? He rested. Are we still at work now? Is this the spring for us at the time when kings, you and I, are to go to war? Or are we remaining in Jerusalem? Do we see this pattern? There's a call and there's a purpose. All those years of skating for me, it was all about me. Am I going to take that diligence and creativity whenever God has given me and use it for him? Some of you today saying, where am I? Is it that you don't see your purposes? You are his workmanship. There is a great commission. And listen, when I say the great commission, I don't mean sign up and go to Africa and Uganda. We need you here in Colorado while the shootings and crazy things going on. Amen? The word go in the Greek, yes, it means go, but it doesn't mean you have to go everywhere. It means as a people group, God's people will go into all the world. I have no call in my spirit. I don't feel at all to go to this place or this place. I feel called to do what I'm doing. This is my going. But you have a different going than me. Amen? You have a different call than me. So for David, I say, wow, all these men in the Bible, a man after God's own heart, David, you were meant to go to war, but you didn't. You stopped, you rested, you relaxed. It happened one evening. It can be any time in the spring. And i got to ask us the question today. Who is God then called to go into the highways and the byways of Colorado? I'm going back to California. I'm called to go there and to do what I'm going to do. Who is he called in this room? You. How many of you guys know people in your life that don't know Jesus? How many of you guys have wives and family members, people to shine the light upon? We've got to ask ourselves the question, who is God called to represent him where I live? As a husband, as a father, God has called me. As a head of the home, who is God called to raise up my son in a godly way to be here with me and see godly men and say, wow, they're listening to dad share the gospel. They care about Jesus. Dad's going into churches and connecting with different people he's never met. And I'm seeing God at work in all of them serving one another. We're going across the world and trying to reach people because God has called me to a work. He's called you and I to the same things, reaching out. Who is God called to raise up my daughter to know she's a helper to an Adam someday? She's going to become one flesh. And see, I'm harping on this for a lot of reasons because we need to put God back into our businesses, God back into the way we live our lives. Amen? 
This is the way it used to be. You see, we didn't have everything we have today. If I was someone's dad, back then I had my farm and my land and I was a shepherd. And if I didn't raise up my son the right way, they weren't going to have a farm and some land and they weren't going to shepherd. Amen? Jesus shows up to four fishermen and he tells the first two, it's their own business, follow me. This is all they had was their business. They would have raised up their kids to taking it over. The second two, James and John, there they are serving their dad, about to take over the business. I'm saying that as men, we're called to raise up other men. We're called to raise up our youth. We're called to raise up our family. I thought about this bringing my son out here is that he needs to be in this environment to be around people, to see men being men. Because here's the reality. If we don't step into this position, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. Maybe you are married, maybe you're not. I don't know, but God knows where you are. You're either meant to be married or not. Paul talks about those gifts. 1 Corinthians 7. But either way, you're the head of your own ministry. You're the head of your own life. If we don't step into these positions, who's going to raise up our men and our women and our generations? This is the way the Bible's gone through the whole time. Men raising up men, women under the covering raising up others. Who's going to raise them up? And here's a big picture of our culture today that you can all relate to, especially those in youth leadership. I believe Satan has brought about this age right now that, that doesn't really exist. It's called adolescence. You guys heard of it? It's about getting to 13, 14 and being a grumpy teenager and doing nothing with your life until you're 35 and your parents probably die and you have to take over the house they live in. It's this age where we just sit around playing games. We go after these dreams. It's all about enjoying ourselves and straining our life rather than manning up, putting our hands to the plow and saying, at the time I'm meant to go to war, I'm going to go. I'm not saying I have it all figured out. The Bible does. I'm going to follow the Bible. I was fortunate to have a skate career that made me have to get up and do something I love to get me driven. But there's this age of adolescence where, listen, generally no one's raising them. They leave the coach to do it, the teacher to do it, the youth pastor to do it, whoever to do it. But what if the men stepped in and did this? I live in Huntington Beach. I mean, it's a stoner. You know, you guys know where Maine Calvary is. It's all surfers and stoners and everyone's relaxed. Well, now it's like people are down there with hardly any clothes on with foul things written on them. There's so many fights all the time. Everyone's getting pregnant. It's almost like a grungy, hippie-ish New Orleans where there's so much sin, and I'm thankful we're there to shine the light. But when I'm downtown and I hear a 15-, 16-year-old kid, true story, many times, shouting at someone in my family or saying this and saying that, and I'm thinking, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably put you through the wall. I mean, if you're in Liverpool doing that, someone else will just come alongside and smack you anyway out of respect. There's a saying where I'm from, you didn't get hit enough as a kid. And it doesn't mean by your parents, it means by other people. But here's the reality. Who's raising this generation? I mean, I see the age of many of you guys in here. You know what respect is. You know what it's like to work hard. You've earned those gray hairs. Amen? That's the Bible right there. God is at work. Abraham, Moses, David. We see all these things, but we can be missing it. But so who are we going to call to lead these people? The Bible says, here's what we want to think about the dads. Did those dads stay at home while others went to war? Did those dads remain in Jerusalem, preoccupied with other things? And you say, Brian, why are you focusing so much on these kids? Maybe they're caught up in the distractions. Here's why. Because how does Jesus talk to you and I as kids? How does Paul write to you and I in the Bible as children? In the same way that those kids aren't listening to their father and saying, God, what should I be doing Saying, Dad, how should I respect people? What should I do? I have a 15-year-old. 
I drove out here. I mean, it's been nine days almost. We've been out here, I believe, 16 hours across America when your wife doesn't like to fly. Three kids in the middle seat of a traverse. They all want different food. They've got to pee all day. They want to hear every kind of music and every kind of digital thing is preaching to them all day. I know what it's like to be a dad. Amen? I need patience. Pray for me. But we got to think as a dad, what am I focused on? What am I doing? Am I listening to God in a way that I realize I have a dad I should be listening to? Are these kids in the aid of adolescence missing what their dad's saying the same way we could be missing what God's saying to us today? This is throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became what? A man, I gave up childish ways. There comes a point in your life when you say, you know what? I'm a man now. For me, it was because I did have a wife. I did have kids. Responsibility did hit me. But there should be a point when you say, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. If I could confess something over my life, my favorite video game of all time is Street Fighter 2. Amen? The original. I mean, I played it so much. I remember meeting a guy in England. And I wasn't going to share this. I mean, it doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit, but you'll see where I'm going. But I remember as a kid finding a guy that had won all these tournaments around England. And so I played that kid so many times until I beat him, and I never played him again. So I'm the best guy in the world at Street Fighter, right? But when I'm older now, I can't sit around playing Street Fighter all day. My kids will play it. My kids will enjoy the time. But I have to put away childish things. What is Paul saying? When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Why is it a good thing for me to be a pastor? Because God needs to lead me that way so I hold on to him tight. I'm coming here to speak. It makes me accountable. I'm living with a wife. I've remarried. Thank you, Jesus. I'm accountable to our witness. Is God first in my life? Is my spouse second? Is she my first sheep, the one that God brought to me like an Eve to Adam? Is she my one flesh? Are my kids next? Is that all ministry that bleeds out into the way I serve in this church and the way I live my community? When we say, and we read this and we say, when I became a man, we go, well, I'm a man. I own a house and I do this and do that. No, I mean a biblical man. Am I listening to God the way those kids downtown should be listening to their dad, who though he isn't around, they can see an example in someone. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men and be strong. It's easy when we're here. Thank you, God. Look at what you're doing. But I want to ask us, what is it like for our walk as we're hearing our Father's voice? Can I be adolescent at times? Am I hear, hearing him? In Proverbs 16:9, you know this verse. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. David planned his ways that day, and they were not good. And if you're like me, you've planned some of your ways, and they have not worked out good. Amen. That's why we need God's grace and God's mercy. But you've got to see, David was called of God for a mighty call. But if we're honest in his life, he walked more like a man when he was a child than when he was a man. Amen? He skipped with the Lord, danced with the Lord, worshipped in the Lord, sang over and over and over. But now, as he's getting older and comfortable and feels like he's just cruising along, we see him struggle and fall. And so where is God in this story with David? It says this in 2 Samuel 12, 29. It says, David returned to the battle, mustered the entire army, and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. The Bible says, the gift and call of God is irrevocable. It's without repentance. That means God made me on purpose. 
to study, to share, to be here today? How can I get up early when I'm feeling drained and say, I'm going to preach three messages today because I'm his workmanship? David knew, I am the king. I didn't go to war. What was I doing? That's a call for you today to say, wow, have I missed it in some areas? Praise God that God is relating that to you. We're not convicted of our sin so much as we're convicted of our righteousness. But I'll tell you, the call of God is always on your life. Even when you fall into sin, repent, tend to him. If it's habitual, you better get out of it. You don't want to die in a place of habitually enjoying sin. You want to taste of the Lord and see that he's good. Amen? But David mustered the army. He went back into the battle. He focused on his call. He began to live on purpose. And do we see that God gave him victory? Our battle isn't the same as David's in the sense that we're fighting men, but our battle is the same in the sense that we're fighting us. And you say, well, Brian, Brian, I've blown it too hard. This is what I've done. I haven't confessed this. You know what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13? It says, when we are faithless, God is what? Faithful. You're sitting here today, aren't you? There's still breath. There's still life. We could say the blood can still be applied to your life. No matter what you've done, I don't doubt your worst in the Apostle Paul. And Paul, I'm not picking on you, but you said you're the chief of sinners. I haven't slayed Christians. I haven't walked around saying I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Life all about me. So David is turning to God. He goes out and gets the victory. But watch what it says in 2 Samuel 12, 13 to 14. Think about this too. Abraham wasn't a Jew. He didn't keep the rituals. He didn't offer sacrifices. In fact, where he was from, they would have sacrificed their children. Abraham simply believed God. He simply turned to God, and that was credited him as righteousness. David lived in a time where you would have offered sacrifices and done different things, but is that what he does to get right with God? Though he does things ritualistically, look at what it says. It says, when Nathan comes to him telling him of his sin, that David said to Nathan... Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. We've all done that. Nathan replies, David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. What does that mean for us today? Many of you are pastors. Many of you brought other people. You could have sinned. You could be struggling. You could be missing your purpose. You might not be here saying, I am his workmanship. You could have been encouraged. Wow, I want to leave a message for my wife. I want to call my children. I want to do this and do that. Wherever you are, God's grace and mercy is fresh every day. Amen. All David did, he said, God, I blew it. God, I need you. God, I'm the skateboarder that thinks it's all about him. I need to be forgiven. I'm the guy in church going through the motions that I'm stuck in something. God, give me grace and mercy. Because I think of this verse and I think there can be condemnation attached to the way we live, to the things that we fall into. I want to finish on this verse as we wrap up for time before communion, but I want to read to you Romans 7 to 17 and 20. And I want us just to pretend today that we're sitting with the Apostle Paul. And he says, man, let me just open up to you. Let me let you know about my life and some of the things I've faced. And here's what he says, Romans 7, 17 to 20. He says, as it is, man, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. He's saying there's things in me that want to do their own thing. I hear the call of God. I see I'm his workmanship, but there's a, there's a wrestle going on. He says, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good. Anyone with me? But I cannot carry it out. I struggle forward. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not do, I do. This is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it. It is the sin living in me that does it. Meaning, 
Just so you guys can know this, for the rest of your life, your flesh is going to want to sin. It's going to want to look at women. It's going to want more money. It's going to go back to bad habits. That's just life. A part of being a man is knowing you want to be lazy. You want to sit around. You want to live for yourself. We still want to be God. We still want to be Satan in the garden. Our flesh is wicked. He says in verse 21, I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, in my spirit, in my call, I delight in God's law, but I see the other law at work in me. That's the sin. It wages war against the law of my mind, and it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin at the work in me. And he says something interesting here, verse 24. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Can I tell you this is a reference to that day and age when you had committed a crime? They would do radical things to people based on the crime. Sometimes they would bring a dead body, a dead human, with goo and pus and eyeballs coming out and feces and stench and decay, and they would tie it to a human being as his punishment. Can you imagine sitting here today and it clearly is stinking where the guy is sitting? It's clearly dripping all over you. It's wretched. It's filthy. That's Paul's picture of you and I. He says, every day when I get up, this dead person is hanging on me. When I'm in the shower, when I'm going to Starbucks, when I'm preaching, this dead person that enjoys sin is still there with me. We're speaking today about David at the time he's meant to go to war, but he remained in Jerusalem. We're speaking about purpose and not all of our sinful things. We know they're there. We're giving them to the Lord. We're moving forward. But what does he say? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who's going to do it? Simple answer, verse 25. He already knows. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are all on the same journey. We are running our own races. And I want to ask you today, where are you then? Where is your purpose? Did this speak to you? Are we sitting on the rooftop saying, man, I blew it. Going to Nathan the prophet saying, God, deal with me. You can do that today. Are you here saying, God, encourage me to live more on purpose for you? Are you here today saying, wow, what a wretched man, God. Who can deliver me? Who can rescue me? Can I tell you? It's only in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what a better way to start our first session by ending the service as I invite Pastor Rich up for a second to, to take communion together. You know where you are with the Lord. I don't need to hear your sins. The person next to you doesn't need to unless you want to confess something to them. But what we want to do is take some time to take communion. We want to take some time to honor the body, Jesus Christ, that was given to us. And drink of the juice, the blood that was shed for us. Amen. And as men come together and say, Abraham was given a call. So was David. So were you. So am I.